Welcome back to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Coaches, this is our first podcast since the virtual convention last week. If you didn't get a chance to see any of the sessions, you can now go to the ITA YouTube channel and see day one, two, and three. So I encourage you to check that out. A couple of other announcements before we get into my conversation with Chad Camper today. Uh, if you have student athletes that you believe would be interested in Tennis for America, year of service program run by the ITA, please send them to tennisforamerica.com and have them apply in the coming weeks and months if they're interested in getting into the tennis industry i think this might be the program for them also it would be great if you could send me a drill for our coaches drill space uh, something we'll be looking to build out more in 2021 so if you have any players in town or something you can put together over the christmas break before you get too busy again i'd really appreciate it so today, like I said, I'm speaking with Chad Camper. Uh, I believe it's important to learn from coaches who have experience in other industries and how those experiences translate to college coaching. I think it can help provide a fresh perspective and help identify some of our blind spots as college coaches. Chad ran his own logistics company before returning to his passion, college tennis. He began his coaching career as an assistant at his alma mater, Wright State, before taking on the head women's coaching responsibilities at Louisiana Tech for three years and is now entering his fifth season at the helm of the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. In this podcast, we discuss Chad's decision to step away from running his own business to entering the college coaching profession as an assistant coach, the similarities between running a business and running a college tennis program, where coaches should think about spending more of their time, plus much more. Chad Camper, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. Thrilled to be here. Thanks. Yeah, good. Uh, I, I've enjoyed uh, just chatting with you the the few minutes before we've come on air here and uh, getting to know you a little bit more. But um, I know the last six, seven months have been tough for everybody. But have you found any silver linings in, in the uh, pandemic? Yeah, you know, we were able to have a fall season, you know, not a lot of programs could say that. So I think just playing, I think the women, you know, the women's coach here at Chattanooga and like having, um, just having people playing and practicing and can't wait for a tournament this week. And it's feels more successful just getting to the tournament than any other time of my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny how we uh, appreciate the little things now, but, uh, let's, let's keep that trend going for as long as we can. But, yeah. um, yeah, I want to take you back to your, your days at Wright State and, uh, obviously had, had a very good college career. Um, you know, I think you really enjoyed your college tennis experience and, and made the most of those years as a college tennis player, but why did it take you so long to, to come into the college coaching ranks? Yeah. You know, I played on the tour for, you know, about a year and a half, just the futures didn't get any ATP points, but had a blast and got into a trucking company and started my own, you know, business and, uh, which I'm a kind of blue collar guy. So that kind of fit me well. And, you know, Dave, it was really good to be good at something other than hitting a tennis ball. And I think all tennis players can agree to that, you know, so it was great. I, I just built a, a trucking company and, and I got up to five, you know, uh, trucks and, and, you know, several contractors, employees and stuff. So it was, it was good. Uh, and then you get about, you know, 30 and you're like, man, I really miss, you know, college tennis and, and playing and stuff. And, and, you know, even though I was financially maybe successful, you really, we, I think as tennis coaches, we take just being on the court for granted, being on shorts in November on the court, you know, for granted. Yeah. 
Yeah. So can you maybe take us through your decision-making process then to, to leave running your own business and a successful business at that? And, and like you said, you know, good growth and, and a good income and, uh, you know, having to, to kind of humble yourself a little bit, maybe to becoming an assistant coach, probably taking a pretty significant pay cut. Can you, can you talk us through that? Yeah. So I think, uh, I not to get that deep with you on a podcast three minutes in, but, uh, you know, broken promises are a big deal. And, and anybody that's been busy, you know, either being a family person or, or just, you know, working at the tennis club or whatever. And, and I will never forget, you know, I was doing very well financially. I mean, I'm 26, 27, making well over, you know, six figures. And, and I had promised my wife and my daughter who was only one and a half at the time. And, uh, I always tell a story. It's kind of tough to get off my tongue, but, um, I promised them on a Saturday, like, Hey, we're going to hang out. And, and I always broke my promises. I had trucks break down, you know, you know, I had my customers needed stuff and, and my truck broke down and, and my wife and kid came and got me. And I remember getting in the passenger seat and turning around and looking back at my one and a half year old. And she just gave me a look cause she's only one and a half. And it was like, daddy, I thought you were going to play with me today. And that, and that was the end that, wow. that, that, that was the absolute end for me. I mean, here I am in the passenger seat. And, uh, you know, I got a wife not happy with me, my kid not happy with me. And I saw the direction my life was going and, you know, got into playing a little bit and, and, uh, got to practice with the right state men's team and hadn't played in like eight years. I didn't even remember how to like serve and hold a racket and, <laughs> and just loved it, man. Immediately, you know, my wife, uh, met me after playing tennis. So I think people don't really understand tennis people, you know, and they think they do. It's like, no, no, no. And I, and I remember getting asked by Sean McCaffrey who was the head coach of Wright state men and women's. Now he's the, uh, uh, women's head coach at Georgia Southern, but he asked me to be his assistant. And I said, Dave, right to his face. No, I mean, I didn't even think about it. And I went home and, and, uh, came home for dinner and my wife's like, Hey, how'd it go? And I told her, I was like, guess what? Right. State asked me to be an assistant. And she's like, why not? Or what'd you say? And I said, no. And she said, why not? And I was, and we've talked it out. And then next thing you know, I, and I think she saw a joy in me that she hadn't maybe seen when fortunately after maybe four or five years of marriage, but like, and she just saw what tennis did. And I warned her though, Dave, I said, tennis has a way of taking you places you never thought you'd go. And I don't have to, you're the king of I'm all that. I don't have to tell you that. And sure enough, you know, uh, became an assistant coach, but Sean McCaffrey was amazing. I couldn't ask for a better guy to work under. I mean, we'd had so much fun together and humbling myself wasn't difficult. Sean let me do what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, but yet, I mean, he was great. He was patient with me. I don't know how he put up with me the first year. Cause <laughs> you know, you own your own business. It's like what you say goes and you've never had a boss a day in your life. And all of a sudden, you know, you have 90 administrators telling you how to do your job. Right. And uh, you have a credit card. They're worried about you spending and, and all that kind of stuff. And, but we had a great time at Wright state and, and, uh, but I couldn't work probably under a better guy. No, that's great to hear. So when you were a college tennis player, I mean, did you have any inkling that you might want to be a college coach someday, or it was just not a, even a, a thought. Yeah. Not even a thought, you know, I think you are your environment. And I just, I didn't have any friends that really, you know, talked about coaching and, and, and you know, it just didn't look that appealing. And, and I, I don't know what I ever thought I was going to do. I think when you're 2021, 20, you know, you just, tr I, I majored in tennis, you know, is what I would <laughs> tell people, you know, I mean, I do have a degree in education, but nevertheless, like you just, I was living on the court, but, but no, I really didn't. And I think once I was a bit of a grinder in college. And I think that, which you kind of have to be smart, right? If you're grinding people out. And I think I, I started coaching and realizing, wow, I got a nice knack for that. But I'll be honest, I got into coaching. Uh, I was the assistant at Wright State for the men and women's. And I got into it to be the men's side, right? Like, yeah, you know, the men's side. And I just turned around after a year. I was like, 
I'm better women's coach and I like coaching the women better. And I do. I mean, I love the men and our men's mm-hmm. team at Chattanooga. I love cheering them on, but I really enjoy coaching the women. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. I started yeah. as a men's coach and moved over to the women. Yeah. I saw that. that my, my personality was, was actually better suited to the women. And it's uh, it's kind of a surprise, right. As, as a, as a man, yeah. you, you kind right. of surprise yourself a little bit and, and, um, but a good surprise and, and, uh, something that, um, yeah, coaches yeah. need to, to build their self-awareness around that and understand and open themselves up to, to both possibilities and, and try both men and women and see, uh, which, which, uh, they fit better for. Yeah. So, it's really uh, what, what yeah, I just don't have the patience to be a men's coach. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I don't know. People say it's odd. I just, I, and the women are fun, man. They're just, they're yeah. just fun day in and day out. So yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more. And then, yeah. um, you know, you talked about your relationship with Sean and, and being coming an assistant coach. So can you, I mean, it sounds like that, that worked beautifully and, and, uh, the, the transition was relatively easy for you, but can you maybe talk about what qualities you believe, um, you need to make a good assistant? Yeah. I think realizing that you're not the boss and that he's thinking or she is thinking of a lot more things than you are. And I, I mean, I love Sean McCaffrey. He might be listening to this, but like, I would, I would come home at night, you know, like, Oh, I can't believe he did that. If I was the head coach, I'd do that. (laughs) And then I became a head coach and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I didn't realize the responsibility. And the thing about being an assistant is if you win, you take the credit. If you lose, it's the head coach's fault. Right. Right. So it's like, you have all, you, you really have no like pressure really on you. And, but learn, I think one thing that Sean and I are very different people and I think, and I, I, I guess my advice would be is f- everybody has strengths and weaknesses and, and you, you might know the head coach's weak weakness, be that strength, be that strength. And I think Sean and I complimented each other extremely well, or I was, I still call him on things I'm weak and like, and he's strong on and ask his opinion on things. But I think there's something about working together as a team and, but knowing the buck stops at, at him or her, the head coach and, and that's where the responsibility lies. I think as assistants, we get wrapped up in thinking how that affects us. It's like, no, 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 no. You're there to assist. Yeah, that's very good advice. And then what about as you're now looking for an assistant coaches, what, what traits do you look for or what would you encourage assistant coaches who are, are trying to make their way in this business, maybe starting, maybe transitioning from volunteer into an assistant position? H- how can they maybe strengthen their resume or, or have those qualities that, that a lot of head coaches are looking for? I think, as you know, Dave, it's not always what you know, but who you know, right? And I think just getting out there and because, you know, not everybody's going to make a good assistant for everybody, right? And, and I think getting out there and getting people to know who you are and what you stand for. And I think like just there's different types of coaches and be known as that type. Are you a developer? Are you a great recruiter? You know, but I think every head coach wants a good recruiter as an assistant. And I think like, what do you know? What, what little area of the world or the country are you great at? Like, and can you bring that to the table? Because I mean, as you and I both know in the coaching, there's coaches that just are unbelievable recruiters and that's kind of it. Like they might be good organizers and stuff, but like, I mean, that can go really, really far in college tennis. So I think as an assistant, like really learning how to recruit and, and the, the do's and don'ts, you know, when it comes to recruiting. Mm. And, and how did you learn to recruit? I mean, how, how do coaches learn that? I think that's uh, that's a, an area that I'm trying to figure out. Is there, is there a systematic way to learn how to recruit? Is it something that you're kind of, I don't want to say born with, but you've developed those qualities over time where you have, 
you know, no reluctance whatsoever to walk up to somebody and speak to them or pick up the phone and call cold, uh, cold call people. You're, you're kind of that, you have that sales element, um, that, that a lot of people are missing. Um, how, how can a coach develop their skills as a recruiter in your opinion? I think maybe if we ask the question and flip it is like, do you believe in it? Because if you believe in your school and you believe in your program and you believe in yourself, I think you could become a good recruiter. But anybody that tells you they're a great recruiter, I'd run from them because you and I both know that you've had a bad recruit here or there. And, and, you know, you thought this girl or this guy was good and then they came to you and not so much. So I think one of the, uh, so right stay, I mean, I learned from Sean McCaffrey and, you know, you pick up things of your own and things you like in games. And I think also what's your strength as a coach when it comes to developing and think to yourself, if I help that player with that strength, you know, can they, you know, is that going to make, like, I have a, you know, a girl that played number one last year as a freshman. And I was, I knew recruiting her, if I could just fix one thing, like it'll be gold. And I feel like we did. So she was playing number one. So I thought that was good. But I think I remember my first uh, head coach recruiting class, I went O for two. And I said beforehand, I've never made, I've never had a bad recruit. And when I said that arrogantly, Oh man, that was the end. And I went over, I went over two that year. And I think there is a humbling element to know how easy that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I have children and I just think there's something about, you know, really recruit when you're recruiting that player, is this someone that you want to spend those four years with and someone you can really help? Cause there's so much off the court, as you know, mm-hmm. so much off the court you have to, you have to deal with. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I want to, Again, I'm really interested in your business background, mm, Chad, and, sure. and the time you spent away from college tennis. And and so what are maybe some of the similarities between running your own business and running a college tennis program? Yeah, I think that again, at 30, I became an assistant at 33, I became a head coach. And really, I just treated, I treat my program like it's my business. You know, I think actually I had someone I really respect say uh, to me uh, in the my athletic department here, you treat everyone as your customer. And I think if I could say anything in this podcast to the coaches is that everybody's your customer, your custodian is your customer. And like the academic person that takes care of your players. And we're like, what do you mean by customer? Like throw them a hat, throw them a shirt, you know, like think of them, like, you know, go down and say, hi, see how their weekend was going. Maybe somebody got married, maybe like, and I think just really treating that, like everybody that touches your program, everybody that touches your program. Like we have a joke around here at Chattanooga. They're on the take, which is obviously it's, we're not doing anything illegal, but like we throw them a hat we kind of wink like you're on the take now, you know, and like there's something about getting them involved in the program. I mean, even our custodian here, we have you know, a tennis facility said, this is, he's proud when he says this is the cleanest area on campus. And I'm like, all right, thanks man. But he's proud of that. Like that's a right. part of him. And I think there's something you know, about that. And also, I think that one thing I think the, the threat of the virus will do um, is I really think that it's going to make like, even when I host a tournament, the other teams that come like that coach is your customer. Those mm-hmm. opponents are your customer. Like you want to put on a nice fall tournament, right? And you want to make sure that, you know, they know where they're going and, and stuff, but even administratively, you know, get up there. And, and, and I think like really make, get in their lives and, and, and you're not nosy, but get in their lives and really, really be a part of, of the institution you're at. And I think, cause it's, it's harder. I think when it comes to like, when you run it like a business, I think it's the, you, I don't want to say you get what you want, but I really feel like when you're asking your administration something, it's really like talk, like water balloon toss, right? Mm-hmm. If I throw it too hard at you, Dave, it's going to explode all over you and you're going to be angry at me. Right. But if I don't throw it hard, hard enough, it ain't going to get to you. Right. And there's Mm -hmm. something about that gentle toss 
And I think just learning with everybody. And I think that goes with you know, my background in business. Um, you know, we, uh, I had several customers and, and some, I could just look at them and go, you're outrageous. I can't do that. I never forget. It was like a five o'clock on a Friday. I promised my wife, we're going to take out an E. I had this customer call me up and she's like, I need this, you know, to take this load down to Louisville. It's an emergency. And I gave her my rate. She was trying to like get me down off the rate. I was like, listen, you know, my rate, like, why are we having this conversation? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not good business. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's not good. Like, and, and I wasn't going her super high cause she was in trouble. I was just giving her, you know, my rates. I think there's just something about, um, you know, if I can go one more thing about the business is like, it's your facility, man, or woman, it's your facility, take care of it. And like, take care of it. Like I've spent $300 in a, in total of power washer and an, and a blower. I'm below the courts every two days. I mean, I power wash when I have time and stuff like it's your place, take care of it. Vacuum, mm-hmm. no job too small. I own my business. I used to tell my, my employees all the time. I never ask you to do anything I either haven't done or I'm not willing to do. And, you know, I clean the toilets. Maybe that's gross to you, but I do it because I have women on my team that I don't want them in disgusting restrooms. Right. So I keep it clean. Like you think, oh, that's gross. We have people to do that. The minute you say the phrase, we have people to do that. Ask yourself who would do it better. You who cares about it or someone else is just getting paid to do that. Now I'm on a rant day, forgive me, but like, it's true. Like there's something about like, like it's your place. It's your courts. It's your office. I mean, I have a carpet cleaner. It's $80. I carpet clean every, our guy, of course we have a guy's team too. So they're a little more gross than the women, but I keep the place clean, man. Like, cause I have recruits in here. I have parents coming in here. Well, not now cause we're in a dead period, but you know, yeah. there's people that walk my two minutes before this podcast, my, um, you know, sport oversight, like came over and dropped off a, a racket for me to regret for her little daughter who plays like that's, that's running your own business that people come to you when they need stuff. So. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's great stuff. And is that something that you just learned over time, um, running your own business, that kind of customer centric approach, or is that something again, that kind of came naturally to you and you're just good with people? Well, I think it's, I think it's survival, you know, Mm -hmm. when you own your own business and it's like, yeah, I need to keep that customer happy. So they don't use somebody else because I need their business. I need their money. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, if everybody knows the show, the office, and there was a, a part where Michael off the office, someone says, it's not personal, it's business. And he goes, no, it's business is the most personal thing. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. It's true. When people say it's not personal, it's business. Like, no, business is very personal. And I just think that that's what we run here. And it's a very, I don't, I don't care what school you, you're the coach at. Like, it's very personal. And that's why I'm kind of, I get a little heated on this. Cause I think people think, ah, we got people to do that. It's like, if you care about it, I, I'll tell another story. I like a, I heard a preacher once tell a story about a, a pastor was walking around the church and he would say this phrase. He would say, if somebody cared about it, it, that wouldn't look like that. Like maybe the carpets were dirty or the light bulb was out. And he just walked around instead of telling people to do it. He'd be like, if somebody cared about it, it wouldn't look like that. And it's true. Like, what is it? Like, I mean, I traveled to other teams courts. I ain't trying to be mean to anybody, but I'm like, man, just pick up the leaves. Like, I mean, are, is that beneath you? Like, I don't think it's not in the day and age we live in. And I just think that having that approach that, that, like you said, customer central approach, it works for everything. I mean, right. the chance, like the chancellor of our university, like we threw, we throw him a shirt. Like, like we were, we were, uh, you know, we had a full tournament on ESPN plus both the men and women's like, we let them know about that. Like everyone's your customer. And if you have that attitude that you're really there to serve, then they're not doing the administration is not doing things like, because they have to, and they feel obligated. They do it because they want to. 
And man, I'll have people that want to do stuff for me and my team all day long over obligation. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. I need you to come speak to my 12 year old about his uh, bedroom. And uh... yeah, well, that's where it starts. Like, no, it's serious. Like you're not you're not at all wrong. Like it starts with cleaning up your own office. You're going to sit there and complain about, you know, something else the administration's doing. It's like, well, clean your place up, Mm -hmm. you know, look professional, be professional. And then you can worry about what somebody else is doing. And sorry, I'm on a rant again. Keep going with your questions, brother. Sorry. (laughs) I I was trying to make a joke about my 12 year old and you, 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 uh, you got heated about it. So (laughs) good stuff. Um, no, thank you for sharing that, that, that experience. And, and yeah, I'm interested to know as well, uh, kind of what are those, you know, are you grateful for that time away from, from college tennis? I mean, did it, has it made you a better college coach? Do you think you would have learned these lessons if you had jumped straight into being an assistant coach or or even a head coach at say 24, 25? Yeah, I think, I think owning the business obviously makes me more well-rounded. You know, I mean, I took my, my losses and my bad things that every head head coach does. Unfortunately I did it in my early thirties, but yeah, I I really think it does. It keeps you well-rounded, you know, as as college coaches, we wear a lot of hats, right? We're recruiting, we're, we're doing all these other things. And one one story I like to tell about my business, I think it's actually even what you do, Dave, and whatever you do, I love the story. And so I had customers, right. And and I had uh, one customer, I'd rather not name their name five days a week, probably 50, 60% of my income came from this one customer. Okay. Then one day a week, one delivery, I delivered a blockbuster video, which I'll say, cause they're out of business. All right. So, so which made up maybe a pizza on a Friday night in my income. Right. So one's about 50%. Who do you think I catered to when it was snowing and like bad weather? Like I catered to the 50, 60% of my business customer and the one that was really small. Right. And I think it's easy to do that. Like in, in coaching is you get wrapped up on some really small things and it's like, nah, man, we got to get to the really big stuff. And, and you know, we, we talked even college tennis, like, I think we can get really wrapped up in, in, in a lot of things, rankings and, and a lot of stuff. Yeah. But it's really about the players. And so that's the 50, 60% is the players and their experience and representing the university. And we all want to win, you know, but like, maybe it's not about some of those smaller things. Right. Right. And then, so how would you encourage coaches to think about their job more uh, kind of a, a business leader perspective. Like you said, they, they wear many, many hats. And I think a lot of coaches, when they get into the industry, don't realize just how many hats you have to wear and um, that it's not just about developing tennis players. Um, so would you advise them to, to think about their job more from a, a CEO business leader perspective or, you know, I'm the coach, you know, I'm a, I'm a development coach first and all these things are mm. secondary. How do you kind of, you know, uh, put those things together? Yeah, I think that, I think one thing I would encourage, I mean, I sent an email you know, in the region that I'm at, and I think I actually CC'd you on, you know, back in March or, or in April, but like, I think there's something about, um, you're a leader already because you're a tennis player. I mean, even if you're not vocal, even if you're a little quiet, there's a leader in you or you wouldn't be, a, you wouldn't have been a good tennis player because we're leaders, we're independent, you know, and I'm not bashing any other sports, but a running back needs a defensive line, right? The quarterback needs the line, like, like defense needs the offensive scores, a lot of give and take tennis. Like we've all been there, right? Five, three in the third and you lose, you lost, you know, you couldn't blame it on anyone else. I think you have Never that in you five, three in the, but third. there you go. That's the spirit. Well, you're young yet. Who knows what might happen? So, but I think, like having, um, I think so more of that, that leadership, even if you're not a big vocal, maybe you're more of a slip in an email or something. And, um, I I would say be the leader of your program and educating your athletic department. Like 
they don't know tennis. They could be the greatest people in the world, but they don't know tennis. Mm -hmm. And you're just water ballooning it. Like, again, you're just tossing it gently. Like, like we got to host ITA regionals uh, a couple of years ago, mid-major Chattanooga. I mean, you know, we had, you know, obviously in our region, Purdue had to come down, Tennessee. I mean, Vanderbilt coaches like, wow, I did not know you had all this here. And it was like, yeah, like, but I had it. And then we host it. Right. And my administrators come out and they go, this is the biggest tournament we've ever hosted. I'm like, I know. Like, and you got to toss it to him. You, you know, you got to gently like, like let him see that. But even here in the fall, like I threw him links of why we could play college tennis through the you know threat of a virus and like just educating them lovingly, like water balloon toss, like really soft. And I think, I think that is what I, I would suggest, even if you're not a big talker and you're not maybe just real strong, like flipping an email, like with a link. And, and I think doing that, but also all of us coaches really do work together, right? Like, Hey, I need some help on this. Have you ever had this happen before? I'm sure Dave earlier in your career, right? You had yep. somebody you called and you were like, and I think having three or four of those guys or girls that you can call and lean on. And, and like, I have Chuck Mersbacher here and I'll be like, Hey man, do you ever had this happen? He'll be like, ah, back in 1999, <laughs> I had this one that, like, you know, and there's tons of coaches out there. I think the IT is doing, you're doing that. Um, I forget the name of it. Uh, coaches that have retired on, you've kind of allowed them back in for their uh, mentorship what, program. Yes. I love that. Like, I think that's a great idea. We need those people involved in college tennis. Right. Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, so in your opinion, if every coach in the country was doing and you fill in the blank at their program, how would college tennis in general be much better off? Um, I think caring about the player more. I think that that, that, and it may, you're like, wait, Chad, you're a mid-major. It might be easier. I'm like, yeah, really caring about them and, and, and really getting in their lives. I think even though we have social media and different things, I think that's kind of a lonely generation. And I think there's something about just asking them how their day is going, you know, like, Hey, how'd you do like, Hey coach, I had a big test today. And then the next day ask them how they did on it. I think those, I think that would be my, my little thing, but also, as I mentioned, really developing a relationship with your administration. And I know that, for years, what hasn't worked is I'll just go sit in my office and mind my own business. And like I tell my administration through the threat of the virus and stuff, I'll say, you have a lot of problems and men and women's tennis isn't one of them because I make sure it's not one of them. Like right. I make sure that they have, they're thinking about football seasons and are we going to have basketball? Like they don't need to be worrying about men and women's tennis. And I think having that, in, that relationship with them, um, and really again, when we hosted regionals or, Hey, you know, um, like I had a, uh, I had a couple of years ago, I, girls get hurt, like three girls, like, right. You, you've been there before. Maybe like I couldn't even field six, a couple of conference matches, yeah. death, right. Death in the conference season. And like, we had a rough year. I told my administration, like, you know, why it was so tough and then very encouraging and like, and explain to them why it was that way. Then that last year we got up to six, six in the country. I don't know if we really were, but I'll take what the ITA <laughs> says on that, you know, but like, I think that, I think that would be my advice is, Again, I, I was at a sporting event. I want to share the story and um, I would rather not mention what sport and I ha it wasn't here either. It was at a different school I was at and an administrator was in, in the audience and I, I was just talking to this person and um, she kept looking at, at her watch. I was like, you know, you got to go. She's like, oh, just can't wait for this game to be over with. Like, I don't want anyone at my tennis matches that don't want to be there. Like, I, I like, and I think there's something I want you to want to come. And, and then when I see people in the stands, I think that speaks volumes that they want to be there and cheer on the team. Right. Yeah. So how would you encourage coaches to, to build those relationships? Um, 
you know, who are those people? Is it the SWA? Is it the president? Is it the chancellor mm. on the board of trustees? Is it all of the above? I mean, I, because I know even with administrators, I mean, I was eight years at the University of Oklahoma, had three different administrators and mm. had very good relationships with all three, but still you have, you you have that turnover, right? So, yeah. you know, how, how do coaches navigate that and, and build those relationships? I think a simple invitation, like for instance, today we're doing pizza for both teams. Like I haven't told them yet, but like, I'm going to go up, Hey guys, we're having some pizza. Like that's super small. We had a new mm-hmm. athletic director coming after my first year. Now Chattanooga is a huge tennis city, big, you know, indoor facilities and different stuff. And me and Chuck Mersbarger, our men's coach, we, we say, you got like two hours. We'd like to just show you around. He gets the job, not right away, of course, but drive him around. He meets the director of tennis, probably the only time it will probably be there. But like, gets that, like invite them out. Like they're just they're like, they're in their office and they're very busy, but there's something about just inviting them out. If it's once a year, then it's once a year. But I think teaching them college tennis, because our sport is weird, man. We play mm. in the fall, we play in the spring. And then people say, well, your fall doesn't mean anything. Don't no college coach in the country would think the fall doesn't mean anything, right? Like we're all trying to build and do things. Mm-hmm. We, our sport's really hard and tennis alone's hard to figure out, let alone college. I think just constantly educating them, like for instance, I had a doubles team. Um, we won the doubles point against a, a, a pretty big school and uh, my number one doubles team be the team eight in the country, you know? And like, how do you, without bragging, tell your administration this? So like, I didn't know the answer. I was like, that's a huge win, man. Like that's huge. So our, like my men's coach, Chuck Mersby just walked up. I was like, you guys have no idea. Like that's gigantic. Like that's a gigantic win. And like, and, and sometimes maybe having some people like, that are close to me. It is the women's basketball coach, or maybe it is the, you know, men's golf coach kind of saying a couple of things for you. Cause you all, we are all in this together, like all of us coaches and stuff. And I think there's, when you get a win, even you and I were talking about earlier, like having a tournament, like that's a win and sh- explaining to them why you're hosting a full tournament, explaining to them why you're traveling on spring break. Like don't just assume they know the administration knows like they don't, even if they're the greatest people in the world and letting, I think just teaching them about college tennis. Cause I really think if you really, really teach someone about college tennis and they like sports, they like tennis, they'll, they'll come to your events and they'll love it. I I really do believe that. Yeah. And just as you're, again, as we're all kind of sitting on the edge of our seats and we're, we're so concerned about college tennis and, uh, you know, losing programs and and so many of the coaches that I've spoken to over the last few months who have lost their programs really had no idea it was coming. They had maybe some inkling of it, but but really it was a surprise when they got that call on a Friday morning or, you know, whatever it was that that it just came out of nowhere. And I think we're all very much on edge and, and will be for quite some time. But, you know, kind of relating it back to business again, if if you were on the brink of, of losing, say, that that major customer or you're on the brink mm-hmm. of your your company folding completely or going bankrupt or something like that you know, what, again, what action would you be taking? Uh, what action, you know, above the advice you've already provided today, uh, would you be taking if you were worried about your program going away? Um, does that make sense, Chad? Kind yeah. Of, yeah. I um, think you know, n- numbers don't lie. I, I'm a big numbers guy and a stats guy. Like for instance, it, you, you know, I'm at Chattanooga here, like of the, uh, the budget that, that I've known is the athletic budget, like women's tennis, my salary scholarships, everything, everything's 2.1% of the athletic budget. Mm-hmm. Now I would argue that percentage is actually higher than Oklahoma like women's tennis in Oklahoma, I'm guessing because Oklahoma football is, you know, big and stuff like that. 
And I think I would let my administration know that how actually small and cheap, you know, I don't know about you, but like I spend $3,600 at regionals with hotels and entry fees. And I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of money. That's nothing to softball. They forget about that much money. Right. And I think knowing your, my advice would be know what percentage of the athletic budget you are. And it's going to be smaller than 2.1%. Like I'm pretty sure I'm I'm high because we're FCS and then different things, but like you're, so you're small. So I think letting them know how cheap you are, how small you are constantly. Like I order clothes, right? Women's tennis, like order clothes. It's like, man, that's so small. And like, it really is small. And you know, we've seen some cuts in the, on the men's side, in the power of five, I mean, Minnesota's down what, how many millions of dollars and you might've, might've saved $800,000. Maybe that's the equivalent of your wife saying to you, Hey, like, we're not going to make the mortgage this month. And you open up a can of soda and her get mad at you. It's like, well, that's 50 cents, man. Like, grad, you know, I shouldn't have spent the 50 cents. That, that's what administrators I think are doing. Like also it's a blood sacrifice. And it's like, hey, look, we cut tennis and these other sports in order to look at, look, chancellor, look, president of the university, look at this blood sacrifice. You know, you and I both have our monarchs cut, so we're a little spicy on this, but like, this is the blood sacrifice that, that we're, we're cutting everything we can. It's like, no, you cut 2.1% of the budget. That's nothing, you know? And I think having those numbers um, would be my advice right off the bat is knowing your, your numbers, knowing and always letting them know how cheap things are. I, I would just constantly, constantly let them know how cheap, like I'm getting pizza today, $5 a pizza. How cheap is that? Like, let them know like tennis. There's no reason a program shouldn't be cut high academics, great kids, easy sport to do. Even in the North, when you're indoor, su- still super cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just reiterating those messages to really yeah. anybody who will listen. And I have the numbers in my head and I actually on my iPhone, I have, I have yeah. tons of apps open, like, or excuse me, like, you know, windows open that I can show people like, if they don't believe me, like if we were fighting for a fall for a minute and people worried about like coronavirus being on a tennis ball. And like, I have a link two links that show like, it doesn't last that long. And other people listening can disagree with me. It's fine. But like, you know, like I have, I'm ready. I got it at the hip, man. Like yeah. if you come in and you say, Hey, you know, we're really not going to have a fall season. We're trying to save money. I'm like, okay, I spent 8,000 last year. What is your volleyball team spent on a bus? Like, buddy, I'm ready. Like, I'm just, and I'm not me. I have a greatest athletic department in the country. I have great, great people, but like, yeah, have those numbers ready. And, and I think, um, I heard a quote, you know, a, a good man is not a harmless man. Okay. Like a good man is a dangerous man that has that under voluntary control and like knowing why you believe what you believe and having your numbers, like be ready because mm. being harmless isn't good. Hiding your office being harmless isn't good. Like be good, like have your information, have why college tennis. I mean, we've seen some amazing programs get dropped. Winthrop, unbelievable programs, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Them poor guys and girls did not deserve that. Great coaching staff. I mean, I could go on and on, right? Like yeah. no reason for that. I mean, I know my alma mater, right? State got cut. Academics one and two in the country or one and two in the athletic department. Like, wow, man, I thought the grades counted, you know, but have your information. And I think, be one be i think if you educate them beforehand you would they would be less likely to to maybe cut that program because you are no longer the path of least resistance which is what they think don't be the path of least resistance have your resistance and have it ready so i i love that chad thank you for yeah. for sharing that because i uh, could go on and on on it's very no, passionate about that we don't have no, enough time and i'm sure you can too it no, hurts man yeah, it really hurts. And and what we want to try and avoid is, is coaches being reactive right after the fact. Yeah. 
that, that um, this decision's been made and, and now they're trying to get all these numbers together and they're mm. trying to, you know, uh, sell their argument and, 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 and talk about many of the things that you've just brought up there. But yeah. at that stage, yeah. unfortunately, we've seen it. It's too late. It appears once yeah. a program is cut, it's, it's, it's gone for, for many years. And then there's a couple of outliers, but they're very much outliers and unfortunately. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, look, we'll get into something a little more, uh, uh, less, uh, I guess, uh, concerning or something a bit. <laughs> okay. Well, and, yeah. Cause, cause I'm doom and gloom the last two minutes, please. No, no, this, this, <laughs> this is the world we're living in and we have yeah. to be realistic. And, and if people want to accuse us of being pessimistic, I mean, okay, yeah. but yeah. I prefer to be over-prepared. Right. And, well, you could say we're pessimistic. I'm saying prepared. Right. Yeah. 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 And not being harmless. That's, that's my tone. So yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's great stuff. Um, okay. So tell us, well, what is a book that has made a major impact on you as a coach? Oh, don't you think, uh, they call me coach John Wooden should just be a book. Every coach should read immediately. Like, and just, I think that, that, that really makes me who I am just I don't know. I, that book was, I didn't know coaches out there were like that. It, it was great to read. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite drill? Oh, anything doubles, any closing drills, anything where everyone's just coming in the net like crazy. And I, I wish I would have learned those. I was a player. I wasn't a great doubles player. So I wish I had those. <laughs> yeah. And, and would you do those at the beginning of practice end of practice? Would you do a whole practice on, on double drills? Closing beginning. Cause it really wakes you up, man. I think mm-hmm. there's something about the beginning. I, I like the doubles closing and I, you know, of course I'm the women's coach, but like women that can volley are dangerous because they can win at any time baseline net. Like I just, I, and I think it's fun. I just think there's something about putting the ball away at the net that just, I don't know. I think it's good overhead. And it's crazy, right? The points aren't crazy from the baseline as much as at the net, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent years, coaching or in life. Ooh, well, and, cause we're just had the presidential election. I, I think for me is not everyone has the right answer and that no matter what side you're on, on any issue, even anyone that's listening to you and I disagree on anything we've talked about the last couple of minutes is that, you know, not everybody's right. And I think you can really learn. I think I used to be like, no, it's gotta be that way. It's like, no, there's some value into that over there. Let's look into that. And, and I, I think that's what I've probably learned in the last year or two. Very good. Do you have a favorite quote? Ooh, favorite quote. I'd say everything fall, rises and falls on leadership, which kind of goes back into what you asked me about. Yeah, you're the leader of the team. Everything rises and falls. I told you, you asked me about being an assistant coach. And I'm like, well, that was easy. I wasn't the head coach because I, I wasn't the leader. And I think yeah, everything rises and falls on leadership. Good. And what is one lesson you hope all your players have learned by the time they leave Chattanooga? Ooh, these are good ones. Um, to love and to fight. Right? They sound like they're contradictory, but not really. I think to love, like to love the game, to love your teammates, to love your opponent, to respect them. I think there's something about. I I, I would I think what would tear me up if I had a player that was later in life who just after four years with me, it was just no concept of others, no concept of helping others. That would break me more than about anything. Uh, but to fight, like I think fighting why you believe what you believe. And I think to know when you're right, that's when you, it's time, like stand up for what you believe. And of course, fighting in a match, right? And battling and stuff like that. But 
uh, I think those two things probably make you strong to learn how to love and learn how to fight. So got deep with me there. Yeah, that's, that would be my answer. That's yeah. uh, a lovely note to uh, leave yeah. the podcast on. Okay. That was great, uh, Chad. Thank you for your, your passion for not only your team, but for college tennis as well. And, and uh, keep, keep loving and, and fighting at the same time. And we'll push through the, the next several months and hopefully the next several years and come out the other side of this all a little bit better and more resilient. Well, thank you for this opportunity. And, and I'm an easy man to find. So if, if I could be a blessing, I could be a help to anybody out there, please reach out to me. Again, I'm an easy man to find and I'll, I'll do all, all I can for you, even if I've never met you before. Right, that's uh, a kind offer, Chad. And I'm sure uh, young coaches and, and hopefully experienced coaches as well will take you up on that. So we all need to help each other. Yes, right, big uh, time. Thank you.